0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is The Carrie Edelman Show. Hey,
0: everyone, and welcome to The Carrie Edelman Radio Show. I am extremely excited tonight, as we are going to have a great show with a lawyer turned comedian coming on named J. L. Clavin, and he will be coming on in a moment and It's really a pleasure to interview him tonight, and I'm just so intrigued to see what his life story is like because he's went through so much school to become a lawyer and then found out a little later in life that he had a knack for comedy and he is really good at it we're going to talk about his latest cd that is out right now that is called uh too big to fail and he has numerous other cds out we'll plug the heck out of them tonight you definitely have to pick up a copy i've checked it out he's just he's phenomenal and i'm hoping at some point he will come to new jersey so let me do a brief introduction and then i'm going to bring him on the air um To anyone new who's tuning into the show for the first time tonight or if you're a new listener, um, I'd just like to give people a brief idea and uh, concept concept about my show. Excuse me, it's been a long day. I have a full-time job as a uh, clinical psychologist and that's what my background is in, and I really enjoy interviewing people. That's one of the things that I'm passionate about, and uh, I really enjoy doing that. So I really wanted to take my psychology background. That's what my doctorate degree is in. And similar to uh, J.L. Corbin, I wanted to also take my passion for the entertainment side of myself. I'm a singer-songwriter, and I have an album out under my uh, name as a solo artist. I also do some writing for some magazines, and just to give them a quick plug, really great magazine and Talent Spotlight magazine and they're these awesome online entertainment magazines and I do a lot of um, articles that really focus on marketing and advertising and and psychological concepts to uh, help people out. So the form of my show was to bring this to the surface where I could help people support themselves and bring them on the air so that I could help them get that Help them get their name out there to the world. Uh, Personally, I do everything independently on my own, so I know how difficult and challenging it can sometimes be. So that's how the show got started. It's been doing really well. I really appreciate all the support and fans that I have, as well as the amazing guests that I've had the honor to have on this show. So, JL Corvin tonight is going to join the ranks of some of these other amazing comedians, and he himself is phenomenal. I've had the uh, pleasure to interview Jim Florentine and Don Jameson, and Mike Bocchetti, Mike Moores, Steve Middleman, and Joseph Anthony, and the list goes on. So, I really do enjoy comedy, and it's a way that I cope in my own life. So, I'm going to show people, get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. And if anyone is tuned in and wants to call in tonight, the number is 805-243-1320. You can also join us in the chat room, but, again, I'm a one-person show here, so I'm really going to be focused uh, predominantly on the interview. And also, just to be mindful, there is a podcast that will be available immediately when the show is over. So if anyone tunes in late or cannot catch the show, the podcast will be available indefinitely, and you can download it, you can stream it, um, et cetera. So that will be available too. So I want to plug Meredith Landis Trotter, who is just an amazing PR person. She uh, runs Pulse Public Relations, and I've been working with her, and she helped me set up the interview with uh, JL tonight. So I definitely want to plug her, and she's an amazing person, and I've booked some other comedians through her. And uh, let's give you some information about JL now. All right. So as I mentioned, he was a lawyer before he decided to uh, get himself into comedy, and he graduated from Georgetown University Law School. So as you can tell, he's a very bright guy, and uh, his knack for comedy is just amazing too. So it was uh, through his law school that he started to – went out to a bar and uh, became very interested in comedy, and then he started doing some stand-up mics, And from there, things just just took off for him. So he's done everything from performing with the Boston Comedy Festival, uh, traveling the country as a featured act. He's also been featured on the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson and NESN's Comedy All Stars. And he will talk about his act tonight. We're going to play some bits off of his new CD. Um, He also does an impersonation of Barack Obama, and maybe tonight he will entertain us with that. And uh, let's see, he's also been featured in the Complete Idiot's Guide to Jokes, and he helped found Comedians at Law, which is a nationally touring group of lawyers turned stand-up comedians. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, where they're touring and where people can check them out. So for more information, you can visit J.L. Corbin, and that's dot com, or you can follow him on Twitter at J.L. Corbin. So what I'm going to do before I bring him on, there's a quick bit that I have that I just love. And let me find it here in the switchboard just to introduce him to everyone that is tuning in tonight. And this one is called Old People at Movies. So it's about a minute long. Let's check this out, and then I'm going to bring him on.
2: But as much as I hate young people with cell phones, let's be honest, uh, the worst people of all are old people (laughs) with cell phones. Oh, my God. Have you been to a movie lately? It's awful. Learn the technology. Learn the on-off button. That's all. I don't care what you do during your spare time with your phone, use it as a coaster, but learn the on-off button. Because I see a lot of movies and now this is the most common thing I hear in movies. Hello? Hello? What? What? I don't know how to turn it off. What do you mean? What? Hello? What happened in the movie? I was talking on the phone. What? You know, and it's just gross. It's like old people are the new black people at movies. It was actually pretty awesome. I was at a movie recently, and that happened. And it was this old white couple, elderly white couple in the back, talking. And these three black teenagers turned around and said, "Would you shut the fuck up? We're trying to watch this movie." And I said, "I don't know if that was in the I Have a Dream speech, but I think, I think that was implied by Dr. King when he talked about a day when we'd all be equal."
0: Hey everyone, again that is J.L. Corbin's new CD, again it's Old People at Movies and you got to check it out, it's called Too Big to Fail and you can check it out on his website and I'm sure he'll have other places that you can purchase it, so amazing stuff, really funny guy, so let's bring him on.
2: Hey J.L. How
0: are you? Hey, I love good. that. Good, how are you? <laughs> I'm Good, uh-huh. good. Yeah, that's great, your stuff is just, I was listening to it all again last night and it's just phenomenal, really good stuff.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> a little narcissism there, I see. Remember, you're talking about No, no, to a, a lot. A lot. It's all I have. It's all I have left. Oh no. <laughs> Although, since you were talking about the um, the cross section between uh, law and comedy, uh, a yes. friend of mine had to file a police report today. Sorry to jump this up, but no, about go ahead. something that happened to her and the detective. She uh, she said to me, oh, I'm meeting with somebody, a detective, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, ask if it's, I don't want to give a name out, but ask if it's so-and-so. Sure. Turns out it was somebody I worked, uh, worked with while I was at the Bronx DA's office. So,
0: Oh, no. My comedy
2: and my law career all in one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's crazy. <laughs> wow, it unbelievable. Is, what a
2: small, sad world it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> So, um, yes, I think let's start a little, because your story is probably going to be so interesting, and I can kind of see a lot of, even though we're in very different fields, just getting interested sometimes in entertainment a little later in life I think is really interesting, especially when people had these, you know, solid careers in place or these goals they wanted to achieve and then kind of decided along the way, oh, something else interested me. So tell us a little bit about yourself growing up and, you know, what were you like as a kid? I mean, was there comedy at all involved, or is this... Just something you really just developed later in life
2: um, It's I, I don't know I, I, I've always been Since I'm 9 or 10 years old Is when I started doing impressions of people So it's okay. always been something Something I've, I've been good at So being funny uh, Was something I was good at for a long time I remember even at, at like 5 or 6 years old I would make my mom Buy me poster board And I would cut out like animals and figures And put on like one person sketches in my okay. uh, in my living room when I was a little kid, which my parents probably just thought I was going to be gay, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, I yeah. So I've always been kind of into being funny, I guess, and there was no real outlet. Like I was going, I went to a very good uh, you know private school, kind of academically rigorous. Uh, so that's where the focus was. You know, like in mm-hmm. in high school, it was it was basketball, school newspaper, homework, and that was it. Like there was there was no like experimenting with anything beyond that. That was busy enough. Um, and, and did then, you, you enjoy,
0: the, just real quick, did you enjoy doing that stuff or did you ever feel that, you know, something was missing? I mean, did you have a lot of pressure put on you or was it something that you really wanted to do was, you know, be studious and get good grades, like you said, and be involved in those extracurricular activities?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've done, I think, you know, I liked basketball. I played basketball in college, which is where I started to not like it. Okay. Um, but <laughs> once something becomes super serious, it can take the fun out of it. Um, sure. But high school, I really liked basketball. I liked uh, doing the school newspaper. My brother had done it, though, before, so it was kind of a logical thing to follow. Um, you know, you're, when you become so familiar with something through someone else, it's like, hey, that looks that looks like it'll be cool. Um, right. But I never – it was – I liked Doing my homework, and I like doing well in school. So there was really, I mean, maybe that makes me a nerd or something, but I uh, I made fun of too many people to be a full fledged nerd. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, I,
2: I I walked in both worlds, both bully and nerd. Um, so yeah, no, I just I like I just found ways to be funny, but there was really no never a thought in my mind of putting humor into any constructive purpose. It was just something I was good at, but it, you know. That's like saying, Hey, I'm good at conversation, why don't I become a professional talker?
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: right. So I mean growing up did you so did you watch comedy on T V? Were you involved in anything where, you know, you were picking up on stuff and you were influenced by anyone specifically, or again, it was just more of this fun thing that you just like to do?
2: Yeah, I just liked I liked doing impressions, you know. I so that yeah. you know, and I could snap some jokes at people, but I was you know, I and I liked watching comedy. Like, I liked, I remember, the stuff I can remember mostly is, is Chris Rock in high school and before that, George Carlin on HBO. Okay, Um right. You know, those were just, it, but it was all, like, it, I enjoyed it. I liked that it was funny, but like I, like I said, at that time, there was never even a thought of, ah, comedy. I'd like to, it was just like, hey, those guys are really funny. That's fun. Right. I like that. I'd like to see them again.
0: Okay, cool. So. so- so it seems like, like you said, you were a pretty serious student. I mean, that was something you took you know, you know, took very serious, and I'm sure your parents did too. Um, so what made you decide to get into law? So how did you kind of make that transition?
2: Um, I've been telling jokes on stage about it, and everybody laughs, but it's sort of the truth. A Few Good Men, movies like that, like Hollywood, makes being a lawyer look so – can I curse? Yeah, go ahead. Well, now it feels forced. Uh, (laughs) Next time I'll just let it out But makes it look so cool to be a lawyer Okay You know, like I'm thinking Tom Cruise and a few good men Like I didn't want to be a naval lawyer But I was just like, oh man, look at that Look at that, the confrontation And the intensity And it's brains and it's performance And it's, you're a rock star If you're kicking ass at the law You know, and that's You're not, (laughs) like it's not cool at all Um (laughs) So that's, I mean, that's sort of what got me interested, like, at the high school level, when you start even just kind of thinking, you know, what would be an interesting career to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what popped in, you know, that, that kind of crap popped into my head. And, you know, in college I kind of was aimless. Like, I went to a very good school, but I was sort of, you know, I wasn't like, hey, I'm I'm coming in here to get my degree in economics and go become a banker or, or I'm pre-med. And I'm you know, I just was kind of like, I'll take a bunch of classes and figure it out. Right. And, you know, my, my senior year, I, I kind of hadn't figured it out still. <laughs> so I was like, hey, well, I uh I could always just take the LSAT, and uh, that will prepare me for an entire career of law, gosh, one yeah. test, and an aimless right. 22 years.
0: Oh, my gosh. So was there anyone, though, in your family that was in law? I mean, was there anyone else besides the TV world or the movie world, as you said, that kind of drew you into the, you know, glamorous lifestyle of a lawyer?
2: No, I mean my dad. My dad uh, was, comes from a family of lawyers. They were he had a long line of lawyers in Haiti. My dad is Haitian, by the way. Okay. Um, okay. And it skipped a generation because he didn't do shit. Okay. But But uh, I guess I guess it skipped right over to me. I got the law bug.
1: Gotcha. Um,
2: <laughs> so you know I just it, and it's it's the kind of thing I've always said this to people about about the law. Unlike medicine. It's Being a lawyer carries a lot of the same, not as much cachet as being a doctor, but it, but it still carries a real professional respect to it. Sure. But what people don't realize is if you don't fail out of school, you could be a studio art major in college, but if, if you do well on the LSAT, all of a sudden law schools consider you prime material to be a lawyer.
0: Gotcha. That's crazy. You know, so
2: it's just sort of like, they, 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 without getting into too much unfunny stuff cuz i know your listeners are probably already, you know, bent over with with hysteria, but uh <laughs> it's they need to do something to like screen lawyers better. Like there's too many law students, there's too many lawyers, and it's mm-hmm. because it has this cachet without kind of the rigorous screening. Like i probably should have never been a lawyer. Like i was smart enough to like get into some good schools, but there was something missing. You know, right. And I'm and what, not practicing law now. Like so.
0: And what do ha, you mean by real, real quick, Jail, Is there something in the background? Because sure. I just hear some feedback. Is there any like radios on um, or anything? Um,
2: sorry. No, I guess uh, just traffic. New York City traffic. Uh, I don't oh, know okay. what. I've got nothing on. <laughs> oh, nothing. So you live in
0: the city. You live in the city and it's just traffic I do. Outside? I do live in oh, the gotcha. Big Apple. Nice, nice. Okay, I wasn't sure where you were living, or no, you're originally from the city too, or no, where are you originally from? I don't
2: like to consider it living; I consider it dying slowly.
0: Dying slowly. Uh, Why do you say that?
2: I'm I'm kidding. I'm just <laughs> my comedy is at times morose.
1: Okay. <laughs> um.
2: No, I'm. What was the question before I so sidetracked? You, so you're
0: living in New York now, but where were you? Where did you grow up? Were you?
2: Oh, I grew up in New York. I grew up in. New oh, uh, in Okay. In, the Riverdale section of the Bronx, which is okay. the section of the Bronx where everyone white, Irish, and Jewish ran to, you'd uh, <laughs> be safe.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so you're from New York. Okay. All right, then that's fine. We will bypass the traffic. There's nothing you can do about that. Um, <laughs> so moving on to like you were saying, you, you should have never become a lawyer because there was something missing. And what did you – I mean, that's kind of interesting. What do you mean by something missing? As you said, they don't screen people appropriately. Anyone can basically take the LSAT.
2: Right. Um, It it only – I feel like I had – in other words, I had the intelligence to get into law school. Right. But I did not thrive in law school. But since I got into a good enough law school to begin with, I had a few job opportunities. Mm
1: -hmm. So then
2: I took – you know what I mean? In other words, it just keeps sort of pushing you along. Gotcha. And – you know when you're when you're looking for a job and you're looking for respectability as a young a young man of 24 25 years you know being a being a law a, a graduate of Georgetown law you know mm-hmm. makes for good conversation and for some decent job opportunities right so right
0: wow okay this so is let's,
2: her, let's, this is so not funny no it's
0: no it's i think it's very interesting I'm kidding, no,
2: I'm no, i i take <laughs> I'm the sorry, blame.
0: And like I told you, I can, through our private emails, and we don't have to get into it, but I can be a little sometimes, believe me, I've got a great sense of humor. I work in prison. I'm a psychologist. But I also can be very concrete. So sometimes, especially when I've been in prison for eight hours, I come out and I'm still a little kind of in that mindset, so i got to kind of switch sets. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so just disregard me if for some reason I, I'm a little slow on the pickup. Um <laughs> Okay, so you're you're in Georgetown Law School, and as you said, in your second semester, you go out to a comedy show, and that starts to grab your attention again.
2: Yep. Like, no, it was. Uh, I was. <laughs> I'm going to keep the funny coming. I was. I was. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I was uh, here. I'm going to. This is going to be even funnier than what we've already discussed. I was su- super depressed in law school. It was okay. something I'd never kind of encountered. You know, depressed. So I didn't even know I was really depressed. Okay. Uh A clue should have been I couldn't get out of bed till eleven in the morning, but I had class at like nine and ten thirty. Uh, oh no! So, wow. No, no. So and I was in a long distance relationship, and it was just like, what's wrong with me? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was just I was kind of at rock bottom, just feeling like, should I quit law school? What's what? Like, what do I do? And. um a guy in my building where I lived in D.C. was just putting up flyers for a, for a monthly comedy show he was producing at a bar down the street. So okay. he said to me, hey, why don't you come by and watch? You know, he was just doing his little promotion thing. And I thought to myself, yeah, I've got a couple of buddies from, from law school, and we'll just go have a beer and, and watch some comedy. That will be a good, good diversion. I like comedy, so uh, no pressure. And I went, and it was, it was awesome. Like, it was a lot of good local comics. And it was just such a nice night, and I remember seeing all these guys that were, you know, none of them were famous comedians, none of them were headlining or touring. Although a couple of them I know have actually become like real like comics on the on the West Coast. Um, and who
1: are, if you
0: don't mind me asking, can you do you mind mentioning? Well, one them of them, one of them
2: is a guy named KT Tatara. Who, okay. Who, I mean, he's he's no household name, but he's he's working hard, and and I, I see his name popping up here and there. Um, okay. But it was weird because that, you know that was only he was only a couple of years in at that point, but they were all good and it was just one of those things that no comic likes to hear a stranger go, "Hey, you guys were funny. I think I could do that because that's like the most right. insulting thing you can say to a comedian." <laughs> but it really did because I know I had been funny for a long time, but to my friends and stuff like that, I, not not professionally, but it was the first time where it wasn't Chris Rock or George Carlin performing, but it was just. Dudes with day jobs who were kind of tinkering and working at becoming comedians, and right. I and that's when it sort of said to me like, hey, maybe this could be a cool thing to to try, even just as a hobby. Maybe cool. I could do it. So
0: very cool. The
2: rest is not history.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, the rest <laughs> is <just> whatever. <laughs>
0: So, okay, so so again, that sparks your interest, and tell us a little bit about you know what was it like going up there the first time? you know, how did you start developing your material? um did you take any training from anyone, or did you no, like, just start no, crafting no. yourself?
2: Uh, how dare you Oops, um I'm sorry, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I find comedy classes to be disgusting um, okay. I don't and, know well, how no, you... that's
0: interesting. Why is that? I don't know, I know how you know teach some funny people.
2: or style when it's supposed to be an individualized skill. It's sure. like the whole point to become good at comedy is to develop your own voice and your own delivery. Like everything should be original if you want to be really good. So, okay, like, somebody would, teaching you how to be original seems very strange to me. Right. But,
0: but I agree. people have to make would a you, living. Would you, would you say, though, that there is a craft to how you. Because, I mean, I, I've went out to tons of comedy shows and. I'm not saying that anyone's the same because everyone is their own original unique comedian, but just sometimes how they develop the punchlines and is that something you can learn or no? Is that something you would say is more intrinsic and something that you have to, as you're saying, develop on
2: your own? Um, I can I can only speak from my own experience, which is mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Like the only people who have ever even given me a, a hint or a pointer on a joke are people who have known me for years and already know what I like to do. Right. 'cause I've had friends I've had friends who are funny in their own right suggest things to me, and I'll say, "No, you're making it your joke, like you're okay. adding what would be your spin that doesn't fit with what I do or with how I tell a joke. so mm-hmm. I have a few close friends who've given me suggestions once in a while that have worked because they know what I do very well, but i can't I can't imagine somebody you know kind of Teaching. I can be influenced by other comics. I try not to be, but there have been some great ones where you just kind of kind kind of, of pick up a little bit of what they do. Sure. But I sure. can't imagine somebody sort of putting in a notebook, you know. Right. Here's how no, I know you what you're become a comedian. Um, oh, not so too. you were saying the first time I ever got on stage?
0: Yeah, um, tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, no, it was a uh it was a it was a jazz club in DC, but they did an open mic, comedy open mic every Monday, uh, Tacoma Station Tavern. Um and I was very nervous. I literally picked out the day I was going to do it was like the middle of May and I said, "Okay, I'm going to go up the first Monday of June." So I gave myself 2 weeks to write and rewrite and work on 5 minutes of material and I remember memorizing it for 2 weeks. Because I figured if they boo me, you know, because then all of a sudden you get the nightmare scenarios of being booed <laughs> off stage. Or, so I said, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to react my first time on stage. Am I going to piss myself? Am I going to, like, fumble around with the words? Am I going to get nervous and right. mouth? So I said, if I, if I memorize every single word, you know, back and forth, at least I can mow through the routine, even if my nerves get in the way. I'll gotcha, have it committed right. so hard to memory that I'll get through it. And it turned out it went very well. Like it just it was you know, I'm sure I would cringe if I watched myself now. Right. But they were they were nice. Um and in and the thing in comedy a lot of the time in, in, in black rooms, in rooms that are almost entirely black people watching and performing, sometimes they can be very supportive and sometimes they can be the meanest motherfuckers on earth. Wow. Um yeah, so it was like, it was nice just to, I got through, I got a couple laughs, and I just said, hey, that was, uh, that didn't suck. That was, I got off stage and was like, I got a couple laughs, and I I don't think there was a moment where I flat out sucked. So, let's keep doing it.
0: Okay, so you keep doing it, and at the same time, you're finishing up your law degree. Um,
2: right, yeah, I still, had, I still had my third year of law school. But once I started just watching comedy and getting interested in it, my grades, like my my grades immediately improves and my spirits picked up and nice you know yeah there was nothing it was just it was something it was what I needed you know to just either divert my stress or whatever whatever effect it had it it was uh, very helpful.
0: Well maybe no pun intended that's what was missing because eventually you know I want you to definitely tell the audience and I definitely want to check out some of the some more bits off of your album, but you know eventually that might have been the missing link that you found a little later in life and. You know, like you said, made you happy and complete and never know.
2: Yeah, um, although if if, uh, I'll give you some foreshadowing, I've joked with people where I say law school for me was like heroin and comedy was like methadone.
0: Okay, and just again, because I'm not at, right, law school got you.
2: Law school Uh, was dragging me down, so then I got got a substitute. You know, and I was like, "Hey, methadone's perfect." Then, unfortunately, people <laughs> often become very reliant on methadone in a way that yep. is just as destructive. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's very true. true. Absolutely. Wow. All right. So let's do this. Talk a little bit about. Um, well, tell at least you know mention the other two CDs you have because I know you have two out in addition to "Too Big to Fail," which is the most recent one that you released. So tell us a little bit right. about each of those CDs, and then we're going to check out one of the. Another one of the bits off of your new
2: one. Sure. Um, the first one I did was uh, Racial Chameleon, which was my first kind of uh, – probably very ambitious for somebody who was only doing comedy three years, but the one thing I've always been good at is kind of writing and writing prolifically. So okay. I, I sort of amassed a lot of material, like, early on that I was pretty happy with because – that was a time when I was still doing a decent number of impressions, and those are kind of like time time fillers. Like you can do a CD of half hour of material and a half hour of impressions, and you've really only written 30, 40 minutes of material, but voices are carrying the humor for for half the CD. Right. Um, and that was pretty light. It was lighthearted. Um, I was, you know, I, I wouldn't say it had. This is going to sound like I'm trashing it, but I actually am very happy with it but just considering where i am now as a comedian it's it's sort of lighthearted, fun, um funny but nothing really too dark, nothing too mm-hmm. you know, i'm not taking a stand on anything really. I'm just it's just sort of fun listening. Um okay. the sec the second one was diamond maker, which was uh <laughs> took a significant shift to the dark. Actually, too too big to fail is actually more lighthearted than uh Diamond Maker, because Diamond Maker, the first half of it is just more bits that I were that I was writing, that, and the good stuff, you know, but more more of the same, like with a little more social commentary mixed in, and then the second half of the album was about uh, basically a failed a failed engagement, so like okay. about seven okay. of the tracks are breaking down in detail that entire relationship.
0: Oh gosh! well, maybe you could talk if you don't mind. I mean, I'd love to include personal stuff in the show if you again, if you're comfortable, I'm not I love Howard Stern, I'm a huge Howard Stern fan, but that's not my personality, so I can't kind of push people to talk about things they don't want to, but I would love to oh, include sure. some of that stuff that's you know people would find interesting about you as a person, so you know after we finish talking about your albums and check out one of the bits so okay, sure, okay, and then the next and one. Then, was,
2: uh... Yeah, and then Too Big to Fail was was I took a little more time in between that one um because the material the the diamond maker one, you know, half of that material just wrote itself because it was from such a concentrated experience mm-hmm. that I was able to mine that very quickly for about, you know, 25 30 minutes of material. Uh Too Big to Fail was a lot a lot longer in terms of forming, but it was it's it's definitely the one I'd say I'm I'm proud of all of them, but Too Big to Fail I think is is kind of a is a real like anybody who'd listen to that who didn't know me would say who the fuck is this guy? This guy's legit. Like where can right. we the other ones? They'd be like, hey, this is a nice. He's got some good stuff. But I feel like Too Big to Fail is the one where people would listen and say, hey, who is this guy? Where can we? You know, they the other ones would be like, hey, this is an up and coming guy with some good stuff. Too Big to Fail. They'd say, where can we see this guy? Kind of expecting bigger things from me maybe than I've accomplished at this point. <laughs>
0: no absolutely I, I have to tell you that that's definitely the initial reaction I had when I heard it I was like I definitely want to see him right away and definitely want to know if you're going to come to New Jersey at some point so yeah it was great it really was well done and well crafted and very talented
1: Thanks. so
0: yeah so why don't we do this let's check out and I'd like to play the whole thing because this was just hysterical the anti-Olympics um, oh yeah, that's cool was great. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was great um Tell us a little bit about where I guess it's from you being on the train and the experiences you've had. Is that where that whole uh, the
2: bus? The, the, the train was from when I still had when, when I still had lawyer money. I could take the train. Now I'm now I'm a greyhound bus warrior.
1: Gotcha,
2: gotcha, gotcha. one got of those things. One, if I if I can. One of the things that I wanted to do with with Too Big to Fail also was kind of a glimpse into you know when people buy an album from from a big time comedian. You know, they'll tell funny stories about traveling on a plane and a stewardess doing something or, or hey, I was in this hotel. But I wanted to kind of <laughs> do a good album because I feel like, as arrogant as this will sound, I feel like my skills are outpacing my place in comedy. Like, in other words, I'm further back than I believe my talent and my writing is. Okay. And so, in other words, I have a chance to kind of, in a darkly humorous way, share what a shitty life I have as a comedian. Because if I were a big-time comic, my life wouldn't be materialistically shitty. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know it sounds depressing, but in other words, if you buy a CD from a really good comedian who's headlining places, they're not going to have stories about riding Greyhound. Or or they won't have in-the-moment stories. Like, they may reminisce, but that won't have the same in-the-moment feel. Whereas, like, I'm telling jokes about three weeks ago taking Greyhound, you know, 20 hours because... I'm trying to not lose money on a gig because clubs, you know, they're like, hey, if you fly out to Denver, we'll give you 400 bucks and no hotel. And I'm like, well, the flight to Denver's 380 <laughs> so right. I don't know how in the fuck I'm going to make money in this.
0: Exactly. Wow. So
2: it became, I, there was one gig in particular where I just said, the club owner has no idea, but I'm making it my personal mission to, to f- tell him to fuck off just by doing a gig that, in no way can he possibly want me to do based on the value he's paying like hey it'll cost you 350 to get here if you if you fly we'll pay you 300 and no hotel so instead what I do is I take Greyhound 20 hours for 70 bucks find the cheapest hotel take Amtrak 20 hours back
1: and I'm like holy shit
2: I only spent $287 I made $13 I fucking won you asshole no nice. it's like, a straight, like that's that's sort of like and I thought like that would be the kind of stuff that I would be in a unique situation as uniquely situated to kind of make funny um you know so that's, no, great. that's what it's some great of the album about. was about okay,
0: and I think cool. that was
2: actually longer than the track
0: Oh that's no it wasn't but I, <laughs> but when we come back to remind me I definitely want to you know, we've talked about kind of your comedy world now, getting into it, but I want to find out the transition of when you decided to just totally get out of law and go into comedy sure. because I think that's interesting. And, you know, what was your family's impression, your friend's impression? Did even yourself, were you going to miss the money you were probably making in law knowing that, you know, it's it's a hard road, it's difficult getting into any type of entertainment? So definitely let's get back to that stuff when we come back, all right? Sure. All right, Absolutely. cool. Hold on a second. Okay. All right, everyone, again, you are listening to J.L. Carvin, who is the lawyer-turned-comedian, and he's fantastic. So let's check out his bit, which is called The Anti-Olympics. As he mentioned, it is about his Greyhound bus trips when he goes to comedy uh, clubs in order to save some money. And we'll be back in a moment.
2: I have to take Greyhound a lot because you get nickel and dimed in this business. I was just at a club in, uh, in Texas, which was interesting because they uh, – I'm the, uh, they, they were only allowed comedians half price off food and the most expensive item on their menu was $11 so I was, like the, I was looking at the mozzarella sticks and they were $4 and I was like really you're, gonna try, you're actually only going like, to comp me two mozzarella sticks why don't you just kick me in the nuts and throw shit at me but that's it's a very respected art form and uh I take Greyhound a lot, because I try to save money when, when clubs try to like, be like, you're allowed one leaf of lettuce. Um, so I take Greyhound buses a lot to gigs, which if Greyhound is involved in your life, kill yourself. It is the worst. It's so gross. Greyhound is so gross. Um, I call Greyhound buses the anti-Olympics, because if you get on one, it seems like every culture has sent their worst representative. It is atrocious. Yeah. Hey, there's a black woman talking about how her son just got shot. Fantastic, I feel safe. Hey, Mexican guy with tear tattoos, you look sad. (laughs) Amish family of 38, thanks for not wearing deodorant. (laughs) I don't think deodorant is part of Satan's plan. I don't know what your faith or culture teaches, but I'm pretty sure you could wear some deodorant. It's not a bad thing. Churn some if you have to. Make your own butter flavored deodorant. Amish are the worst people. They are the fucking worst. They make travel really despicable and somehow riding a bus is okay. Apparently riding a bus does not offend whoever hates you doing anything from the 20th century. Is it shitty enough? It's almost like a horse. Maybe it's like a horse because you smell like horse shit because you don't wear deodorant. Good lord, Amish people. And I, had to, I remember I was on a bus uh, in July. True story, I was. And um, there was a family of 12 Amish because they're not allowed to have anything under 15 people, apparently, in their family. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, wow, what is that funk? And I was like, oh, right, it must be the people in the wool garments in July with the performance-enhancing drugs for their funkiness. Good Christ. And did somebody kill off like a good-looking Amish person 400 years ago just so they'd all be pale and awkward-looking? <laughs> We're not carrying those traits forward. Absolutely not, Ezekiel.
1: <laughs>
2: but Greyhound buses are fun because if you take a long trip... I've taken Greyhound buses as long as uh, 20 hours. Obviously, I'm not getting a Greyhound sponsorship for this, uh, this city. Um, but I, uh, I had to use the bathroom and... Uh, no, no, I didn't. Go number two, it's okay. Uh, there was actually blood on the toilet seat, that's true. Yeah, no, that's, I, 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 it's not funny, it's gross, but it happened. So I was like, well, apparently I'll be holding this shit in for another eight states. But urinating on a Greyhound bus is a really challenging exercise because if you've ever tried it, you should. It's a great ab workout. Because first of all, you can't touch anything because it's all covered in various uh, goo. Is that soap? Is that semen? I don't know. (laughs) Meanwhile, the 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 crack staff of Greyhound drivers that they have driving, even if you're on a straight stretch of highway, somehow it manages to feel like bumper to bumper traffic the way they drive. Just herky jerky, and you don't want to touch anything, but you also don't want to piss on yourself, so it just becomes this amazing core workout. (laughs) So it's my new video, Greyhound Abs. It's It's just gonna be like a homeless dude that's ripped. That's going to be the model for Greyhound abs. Comes with an Amish scratch and sniff. Um. All right, everyone.
0: Again, that is J.L. Coffin that is hysterical with his uh, homeless bathroom person that would be uh, doing an ab workout. Um, So we'll bring him on in a moment. I do want to give a couple of quick plugs out there to some people who support the show, and in return, I support them. So actually, real quick, definitely want to plug Mark Friggin. He is a huge fan of comedy, and I'm sure if you're a Howard Stern fan, you know who he is. He's in the chat room right now. And go to MarksFriggin.com. This is the guy who blogs all day about the Howard Stern Show. You can get every little detail you've ever wanted if you missed anything on the show. So check out MarksFriggin.com also want to give a plug to iRockTV.co, and that's spelled I just with the letter just I, and then RockTV.co. It's an amazing website that supports uh, bands, musicians. I'm working with them right now to do some stuff, so it's a really cool site, so check them out, especially all of you musicians and artists out there. And Flirt Energy Drink is a female fitness energy drink. It was specifically formulated for the female athlete, Um, They sponsor me in terms of playing one of my uh, hit singles off of my album, which is the song for their product. So you can check them out at flirtsport.com. And finally, as J.L. knows, I'm a huge fan of comedians, and I'm doing some uh, cross-promotion with Davin's Den. And Davin's Den is a fast-paced podcast featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry, and Pip Helix. So if you are looking for a show that can make you think and laugh out loud, At the same time, then Davin's Den is the show for you. They go live Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. To watch live episodes, hear or watch old episodes, or find out more about the show, go to Davin's Den page on DavinComedy.com, and that's spelled C-A-V-I-N, Comedy.com. Okay, now let's bring J.L. back on. All right, great stuff. Love that bit.
2: Me too. I do. I really do. <laughs>
0: oh,
2: thank no, it's you. awesome.
0: So, it was very like
2: painful to live through that bit. It's funny in yeah, hindsight. Yeah,
0: I mean everything from the blood on the toilet seat. Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have thrown like people get grossed out. I'm like, I would not have thrown that in because it's it's not funny oh, I if I make it up.
1: Right, if I made that
2: up, it would be like, (laughs) eh, but it, like, really was. I was like, all right, so it's (laughs) either somebody's got a bullet wound or a time of the month, but either way, you're rude. Oh,
0: my God. That's crazy. That is crazy. But as you show, it really shows the challenging experience of being a comedian, as you're saying, making money and trying to save some so that you're not uh, coming out even or actually in the negative. Right. So, Wow. So let's digress a little bit and tell us about when you just decided, you know, you're working in law and it's just no longer it's for you. You just can't do it anymore. And you decide to say, I'm just going to bite the bullet and uh, choose this career path of comedy.
2: All right. Well, I'm going to tell you. It's a very inspirational story. Okay. Uh, What happened was I decided um, after my engagement broke off that I was going to save up all my money that, you know, was sort of being saved for responsible life together with somebody purposes, I was like, okay, I'm going to save up as much money as I can, because I was making, I was. I had switched from the DA's office, where I was making, you know, sort of a, uh, a an okay government salary to a private okay. firm, where I was, you know, to some people, I was making whatever money, I felt like I was Scrooge McDuck swimming in gold coins. Wow. So, I just started saving all that money, and I said, when I turned 30, that's when I got a, you know, I'd already been on TV, I felt like I'm getting a little road work here and there that I can use during my vacation, but I've mm-hmm. got to I got to make the jump. I got to I got to go full time. I got to get out on the road. I got to do every spot I possibly can. Meet as many people as I can. So I said when I turn 30, I'm doing it. So I was wow. I turned 30 in April of 09. Well, in fe- in February of 09, I got laid off. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> aye,
0: aye, aye. That's crazy.
2: And, I said, and I said, I went into my journal that day, to my diary, and I, I, I took out the eraser, and I wrote, two months before I turn 30, I'm going to quit law and become a full-time comedian.
0: Wow. <laughs> so what was going on real quick in terms sort of just getting laid Was it just that the company, because of budget-wise?
2: <laughs> well, this is... Without giving away a bit that I'm doing on stage now, okay, okay. I like to, like I tell people, hey, the economy, and it was the economy, like the economy was tanking, and and okay. law firms were getting hit hard. But I also tell people, to, <laughs> but I was the first one to get laid off. Let's not act like I was like
1: the one of Thirty standing. people
2: sent packing that day. They sent right. my ass home, and then like four months later, started making the tough decisions.
1: <laughs> oh no, aw. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so then I was like, all right, well, good thing I've been saving this money and this dream. Let's make it happen. Nice. And three years later, uh, hasn't happened. Oh, stop. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: sure. Yeah, I mean, you're doing great. I mean, tell us why don't you tie in a little bit. Uh, Well, okay, so you, you decide you're going to do comedy full-time. Was there any doubt or, or just in the back of your mind, like, you know, I just want to make – Still make this good money and just do law if I have to, just to have the money and seek out jobs, or no? You were just really dead set on I'm done with this. No, I, I just comedy.
2: I I I in hindsight I I clearly was I a little a little probably arrogant in thinking how many how much how many strides I'd made in the business, but mm-hmm. I just thought hey I've got TV credits I'm funny I'm working hard now is the time to just get out to every club I can, audition for every club I can, do what I can, and somebody's going to see me. I'm going to keep working hard. Somebody's just going to see me and say, there's a, a big dude with some talent, some, some chops, some, some potential,
1: mm-hmm. and,
2: and uh and I am still waiting for the phone to ring.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, stop. But you know what? That's interesting you don't say that. I mean, because I think you can appreciate how difficult and challenging it is, and You know, part of it, like you're saying, is being in the right place at the right time, networking with the right people. You have the talent, JL. I mean, you do. It's there. But so do you ever get discouraged or you just say, you know what, I'm just going to keep pushing? Every waking
2: day. Every every day I wake up, I'm discouraged. No. At this point, no, no, and I'm going to, like my personality, I thrive Mm -hmm. on discouragement. I don't know how to explain that. And I'm not going to say I'm like Michael Jordan where I have like, you know, a bulletin board with every club owner that's never booked me, and I'm going to show them. It's not that kind, but I just go. I know I'm good, and I don't. I kind of wake up discouraged, but not depressed about it. Like right. people always say, "Hey, you got to have faith. You got to believe it's going to happen." I go, "Why? I have faith in my own skills. That's all I can have faith in. Like I can right. have faith that you know the business is going to recognize me or some of my friends who haven't." You know, who had the chops but haven't had the breaks. And what's funny is, when I was young and thinking, oh, I have a half hour of stuff and I'm the man, and where's my, you know, where's my TV show? Like right. a dumbass. Every veteran <laughs> no, comic, I think you everyone... just keep writing.
0: No, JL, I think whether you're a musician or a comedian, I think most people starting out have had those moments, and hopefully they move on and realize the realities. I think it's the unfortunate people that, you know, 15, 20 years later, still think. I'm going to be this huge musician, and unfortunately, it's not happening. So, I think I think right. you're I think you do it in a realistic way, and I think it's good too. Then
2: they put Susan Boyle on TV to, to make all the old people think it can still happen.
0: Well, that's true. You're right.
2: <laughs> I guess you can.
0: it can. I mean, they say. I mean, I don't think age necessarily at this point makes or breaks it, but I just think sometimes people have to realize. And, and you got the chop, so it's not like. Like you said, but I mean, that's but what's TV. so
2: funny about the business now, and this is what I discussed <laughs> with friends of mine. I'm not saying it's always worked like this, but we're at a time now where, you know, festivals and prestigious things, one of the top things they're looking for is youth because people are yeah. seeking out more youthful characters than they mm-hmm. are comedians with ch- – Like, and I'm not talking about the established people. If you're an established comic, you're going to get your pay. But I have – me and, and several of my I have a few friends who are really good guys who have been doing it nine, ten years, have one or two TV credits, can headline a B-room, can feature easily, like can do all, the, all those things you'd expect a comic nine or ten years in are original, and it's just not happening. And we're watching, you know, 25-year-olds who maybe right. either have a look or ten minutes of material kind of snatching up these golden opportunities. And the question becomes, well, what do I have to do? Stick around till I'm 40, and I've burned every friendship and uh, and, and and relationship, and then I can finally be, you know, some semi-established pro. It's it's like mm-hmm. that's the depressing part. Like I'm not like where I'm at now is fine, but it's the idea of well, at what point do I have to, you know, because comedy is not one of those businesses where you know, oh, look, I got a promotion. Now I'm vice president of comedy. Right. It just happens or it doesn't, so you have to, every day you're going, is this the day somebody sees my video or watches my set or hears me on this show? No? Okay, well, tomorrow could be that day, but then you could do that for 10 years as opposed to saying, hey, I've gotten, you know, I can chart my comedy progress. Like, as a comedian, I can say, I have more material, I'm better, I'm sharper, I'm writing better stuff, I am the best comedian I've ever been today. But there's no other indicators of... You know, success or or certainty,
1: not
0: right. even a little bit. <laughs> right. No, I I I can totally appreciate and respect what you're saying, but in terms of, I mean, you have Meredith who's doing PR stuff for you, which is great. Um, does that do you see that type of stuff really helping you in terms of, you know, getting opportunities, getting your name out there? Um,
2: well, that's she's she's doing PR for. I don't I don't know if she she explained to you me
1: um, no, the
2: guardians of a, law. Okay. The Comedians of Law is is me and five other guys um, who are lawyers and either full-time comedians or, you know, still practicing but still doing comedy at the same time. Okay. And we kind of formed that. It's, it's, as much as we like it and it's fun, it's a gimmick. Like, there's no denying that that's a gimmick. It's not like people are clamoring for, if only there were more legal aspects to comedy. Nobody gives a shit, but it sets us apart. And it's at times I'm frustrated because I think we put on a great show and we're attacking a niche that doesn't exist. Like we are Absolutely. We're marketing ourselves both to clubs but also to, like, law schools and businesses and, and, and legal associations because mm-hmm. it's an untapped market. But at the same time, you know, my dream is not to be – unless this were to become, you know, the blue-collar comedy tour, but the white-collar comedy tour, I, I want to still be headlining myself. Like, as me, no gimmick, just sure. my material – People coming to see me, not because I have a hook, but the nature of the business now is we have guys of varying you know levels in the business, and it's it's a hook it's it's a gimmick, and we need to catch somebody's eye, so that's kind of why we you know why we formed it
1: Cause I think we all I think we're
2: all competent we're all good comics, but you know that you know that hasn't I... kind of hit for any of us yet.
0: Right, but I think I think you actually I think like you said I think it's an interesting niche because it's unique and there is nothing out there like that in the market. So you might take this, <clears throat> excuse me, as an opportunity. As you're saying, you know, I know you want to headline the shows and do all that stuff, but this might be your opportunity to get your name out there with all these other guys. And if it takes off, then you can also branch out. You know, it's like the musician that's in
1: a band. Oh yeah, and no, no, make no be-
2: mistake of it. I've told every guy in the group I'm going Timberlake. If we blow up, I'm going Timberlake. <laughs>
1: Right, That's it, right. like
2: end of discussion. I'm going Michael Jackson. You guys right. can remain part of the Jackson <laughs> Five. <laughs>
0: and if you feel please feel free to plug the guys that are part of the uh, comedians at uh, Law.
2: Oh yeah, it's uh it's it's me, um in capital letters, and then in lowercase letters, <laughs> it's no, it's uh, Alex Barnett, Matt Ritter, Greg Colette, Sebastian Evans, and Kevin Israel. And you keep saying uh, New Jersey. We actually have a show. Uh, since this is going, I guess, right away to a podcast, uh, June 13th, which is tomorrow as we speak at 8 oh. o'clock at the Stress Factory.
0: Oh, I wish I know. If I plan in advance, it's hard during the week with my, uh, my schedule at work. I wasn't inviting
2: but... you. I was inviting your listeners.
0: Okay. That's okay. All right.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I'm, I'm catching your comedy. Um, yeah, but hopefully will you be passing through there again at some point.
2: Um, Well, it's definitely going to be part of our fall tour because we're putting together a very large kind of club, school, bar association tour. So we're going to kind of hit a bunch of all our types of venues uh, in the fall, and and Stress Factory will be one of them.
0: Okay, definitely. I will definitely check it out in the fall. And please plug uh, Comedians at Law. Where can people find you? Do you have a separate website for it?
2: Yep, we do. Uh, of course, you could always go through jlcovan.com. i got a big link right on the homepage. Yeah. Um, but if I'm not being greedy, you can just go to comediansatlaw.com or on Twitter. It's at comediansatlaw. <clears throat> Facebook, we have a cool. fan page.
0: Nice. So one other the things, I mean, that's amazing that you have the comedians at law in the works. What other things are you doing right now? Are you pursuing any other types of as you said, you had some TV what are some of the T V credits by the way that you um had, please plug those.
2: Oh no, you already you already you already mentioned them. I'm not talking oh, like I'm on T V shows. I've done Ferguson and uh Ness and Comedy All Stars were my sort of my T V spots. Gotcha. Okay. But I'm not okay. I'm, you won't you won't be able to catch me on next week's C S I if that's what oh. you're going for.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But what other things are you How do you go about pursuing those opportunities where, you know, Fred Ferguson and things like that, is that through a PR person or did you reach out to the people at the company?
2: Um, Well, I had for a brief moment in time, and it's ironic that I'm bitching about guys who are 25, 24, getting management because I got management when I was 27, which is not super young, uh, but I was relatively new. And Mm -hmm. uh, an agency decided wanted to manage me we never had anything in writing but they started submitting me for a lot of things and <laughs> as soon as they started submitting me i got i got two shows right away which kind of validated my own opinion of my material it Was It like hey as long as exactly as soon as somebody vouches for me i i know i have good stuff mm-hmm. and then you know then i lo i de- they didn't want to manage me anymore um long story short i had a bad showcase not like a and when I say a bad showcase, I mean just not a great set. It's not like I had some okay. sort of breakdown on stage or right. got into a fight. It was just like a like a eh, like eh, nothing, right. okay nothing night. horrible. Didn't bomb, but nothing, no spark. And they just, I they, you know, I guess that's the nature of the business, maybe. But they lost interest very quickly.
1: And the I'm person not. who was
2: personally representing me left the agency, and I decided to stick with the agency because kind of being a young comic you're you're afraid to be you know i don't want to go off with jerry mcguire i want to stay with the big agency because i don't right. know what the fuck i'm doing and they it turns out it was that individual who was very supportive of me not the agency as a whole so uh. i ended up kind of not being able to use the ferguson or the other tv spot as kind of a snowball effect because they just kind of sat on it for a while and, yeah, so then so then, what's what's hilarious is I did really well on Ferguson, and then like a year later I'm writing to Ferguson myself, not him personally, but his booker, saying, hey, remember me? I killed it on your show. Can I come back? And it's like, yeah, we remember you. We'll let you know. Oh, no. And it's like, what? <laughs> because I, I thought, hey, I was already on the show. Like, I'm in, right? I'm right, in the right. club. I'm not trying to break in. And I guess, you know, what's funny is if I ever pick up a manager again, you know, I'll I'll need a stopwatch for how quickly I'll probably get back on TV because I can appreciate they want to use managers as gatekeepers because if every comedian in the world had a direct email, they'd never stop sending them. But the fact I thought the fact that I'd already been on the show and done well would have yeah kind of separated me. But whatever you would think, right? Absolutely. I know. So
0: where are you in terms of do you want to seek out another manager or do you like? kind of being Oh involved, yeah, no, I definitely
2: like, do because that's okay. the thing. And I'm doing one of my I, one of my sort of comedic heroes, even though he's kind of not a straight stand-up comedian, is, is Adam Carolla. I don't know if you're I, if you're familiar yeah, with him. Yeah, no,
0: I like
2: him. Yeah. Yeah, cause, and I just like the fact that he's done so many things on his own, and he's done like you know he's done radio, he's done TV, he's done this, and he's just now just an all-purpose funny guy. Mm-hmm. who can do a lot of different things without just being a I do stand-up comedy and I'll be at Caroline's this week. Like, he does that, but he does – that's what I'm sort of trying to do, I guess, because I started a podcast this year. Yes, I'm I'm the one comedian with a podcast. Um, <laughs> and, like, I'm doing, like, a low-budget movie review show that's pretty funny because I've always written up movie reviews. And, I like, oh, I'm throwing cool. so, – and i got comedians at law – so I'm just trying to, like, produce as much weekly content as I can. Like, I'm blogging for the Huffington Post comedy page. All of these are unpaid. Like, I'm the, I, I laugh. I say, you know, people sometimes put hashtag humble brag on things on Twitter, like when you're just trying to mention things okay. in a nonchalant way, but it's really a brag. I have the opposite. I have arrogant fail. <laughs> I'm promoting dozens of things that pay me nothing.
0: Well, no, I mean, I can totally appreciate what you're doing. And I think, you know what, sometimes, Dale, I think it's doing that stuff. You really can appreciate the hard work. And once you do get paid to do it, it just makes it all worth it. I think it's great that you're doing stuff like that. What's your podcast, uh, What's the concept of it?
2: Oh, it's it's called The Righteous Prick Podcast. And basically (laughs) every week I bring on, usually it's a comedian, but I've had some people who are non-comedians on, to defend something they like. That that I think is overrated. Like I've done TV shows like The Walking Dead. I did an episode. My biggest one was an episode on comedian Louis C.K. where I was basically arguing. I don't know why he's the king of comedy. I feel mm-hmm. without getting into the content of it, that's the gist of it. Like that's really I take cool. something that's popular and then I just argue against it um, gotcha. for for an hour or so, and they they generally turn out pretty funny. And sometimes it can be something as as odd as, like, I had a guy who loves chicken wings, and it was one of my best episodes, because I was That's like, I awesome. think they're a shitty bar appetizer.
1: <laughs>
2: and we just literally had a conversation for an hour into the origins of the wing and why I think, you know, the wing is, like, the fifth or tenth best appetizer at any bar. So it's, like, it's goofy sometimes, and That's sometimes awesome. it can be heated. But, yeah, I just figured, and it was, it was kind of inspired by Corolla, because he does... A segment on his podcast sometimes called "What Can't Adam Complain About," and I thought to myself, "Well, I I complain about stuff, so what if I kind of made a different, like kind of shifted Wait, that a little bit?" Right. So.
0: And what day? What date do you have? A certain day and time that it airs? If you want to plug it.
2: Yeah, every Tuesday. I put, put the new one goes up every Tuesday. Um, okay. You know, and then like a new movie review goes up every Monday on my site and on YouTube. So it's like, who knows? I just it, it's it's and those are two things that, you know, we haven't gotten into my finances yet, thank God. But as I look for part-time daytime work to supplement my empire of free web content, uh I want to have some things that I can keep going at a steady clip.
1: So that right. even
2: if even if uh some of my road travels have to be curtailed, I will have kind of a steady stream of humorous stuff that I don't need to you know be free all the time for. So right. That's my so that's like you, my contingency plan. Got
0: you. What are you looking right now for something to just do to supplement your income during the day? What what are you looking to
2: do? Yeah, I mean I've got I've got I've got a, a part-time thing in an office just doing like it's not a legal job or anything, thank God. But okay. uh <laughs> Yeah, but I no, but I'm in, I'm starting to look for stuff and it's just difficult because the law is a career. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's, it's not just, there's very few law jobs. Most people who hire you for legal work want you to treat it as a career, which mm-hmm. is a different mentality, a different commitment, which I can appreciate. And it's sort of hard to be still just, you know, waist deep in my passion, which is killing me, comedy, but having to also supplement that with income. And my only bonus skill set is, you know, my law degree. Right. So.
0: Right. Wow. This well, I think,
2: isn't this. I think, isn't this fun? Ahead. This is. This is. I am a. I am a bright ball of sunshine tonight.
0: <laughs> no, I think you're being <laughs> real, and I like that. That's what I want to see, my guess. I'm oh, like I it keep just, it
2: real. Oh, I keep do. it real.
0: No, you do. You <laughs> definitely do. No, I I really appreciate it, and I respect people that keep it real. I mean, when people come on and it's just all this kind of fluff and sunshine, it's like, all right, come on. There's more to it. We know there's more going on beneath the surface, so let's just – and that's what the audience likes to hear because they can relate to that stuff. And There's so many people, as I mentioned earlier, in the entertainment industry that are struggling and it's challenging.
2: Oh, they've always got something going on, even if they don't have something going on. I I never understood that, and that may be one reason why I don't become the success I want to be. But if I have nothing going on, people, friends of mine will say, how's comedy going? And I'll be like, eh, not so good. And I'm not trying to bring them down. I'm just not trying to lie to them and give them like a fluff answer like, oh, man, I'm fucking killing it. Oh, and I got so much in the works. No, I got a free movie review show and a free podcast that I do out of my apartment.
1: Right. I can't really front
2: like I'm, you know, building up my my Jay-Z empire. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we
0: should talk off the air because I have some interesting ideas and we both have our educational backgrounds and I love comedy and I have some really funny stuff and I'm looking to develop it with someone because I'm not a comedian. But I think I have some really, you, just like you with the podcast, And I think it's such an interesting twist that you're doing with the podcast. I think it's hysterical. Um, I'm a huge fan of Seinfeld. I mean, that's my type of kind of comedy and the way I deal with, you know, bad situations is somehow I put a spin on it to make it funny. Um <laughs> So we should talk at some time if you're interested. Of course. Okay, cool. But you did amazing tonight, Jay. please, again, plug all the different uh, places people can find you, all the social media sites where people can pick up your CD, and, of course, your upcoming uh, show that's happening tomorrow night.
2: All right. Um, First things first, I guess the Stress Factory show, New Brunswick, New Jersey, tomorrow, Comedians at Law. We got the club to ourselves. 8 p.m. Uh, going to be an outstanding show. Please come to that if you're uh, in the area. The Devils are out of the out of the playoffs anyway, so we have no <laughs> conflicts in New Jersey. Um, where can you find me? Uh, usually curled up in the fetal position somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to find me on the internet, it's jlcovan.com. On Twitter, it's at jlcovan. That's J L C A U V I N. Um, yeah, if you just go to the website, like, I have, you know, all the links and all the social media stuff hooked right through my, through my website. You can find the podcast, the movie reviews, all that. So, com. Cool. All
0: right. Sounds great. And, uh, if and when you have another CD coming out in the future, uh, please definitely contact me. I always welcome my guests back on the show.
2: Fantastic.
0: All right. So thank you so much, Jay for coming on. You did an amazing job tonight. Um, I'm a fan of yours, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch.
2: Oh, Thank you.
0: Thanks for having okay? me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Have a great night. All right. You Bye. too. <clears throat> All right, everyone. Again, that was J.L. Klovin, and please check him out at jlklovin.com. He's an amazing comedian. He is a lawyer-turned-comedian, so he definitely has an interesting niche in the comedy world. Um, Let's see what else I can say. It's been a long night. So we have next Tuesday, which is going to be June, hold on, let me check the calendar here, 19th. We have an amazing band coming on. They are an up-and-coming hard rock band called Silent Season, and they will be coming on next Tuesday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and that's the 19th, so please check them out, followed by another up-and-coming amazing band who I've recently heard on Sirius XM Radio, on the 26th, that is of June, at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, a band called Solicit, and uh, it's spelled S-O-U-L-I-C-I-T. And they have a hit single out right now called Hell It's yes, an amazing rock band. Um, and they categorize themselves as American rock, so please tune into those two shows. As well as please check out, there's over 80 podcasts available now with so many amazing guests that I've had the uh, opportunity to interview on my show, so please Check out any of the podcasts you want, comedians, musicians, actors, filmmakers. Uh, it runs the gamut of a very diverse group of people. So, again, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Please, if you have a Twitter account, follow me at Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. You can also find me on Facebook. I have two personal pages under my name, a musician page, and the Carrie Edelman Show, which is regularly updated with the upcoming shows and guests of people that I have coming on the show. And if you're interested in becoming a guest, you can check out the Carrie Edelman Show and go to the info section on Facebook. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in tonight. I hope I'm not forgetting to say anything. Uh, But again, it's been a very long day. Um, So let's lead off with one of the singles off of my album. It's on iTunes under Carrie Edelman. The title of the album is Leave It All Behind. And this is the song, Another Life. So we'll be back next Tuesday, the 19th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern with the hard rock band Silent Season. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks again.